Good morning, folks. Good morning. I am not Dave Lachey. Um. Attention on deck. Thank you. Yeah, you're stuck with me. Dave's gone today, work calls, and uh, Pastor Bob's out of town. So I turned to Daryl Living, says, how about it? And he says, he's out of town. <laughs> Make sure he's out there. <laughs> and, and we're at a meeting Monday night, and the elders wanted this meeting to happen in the worst way. And I said, well, that describes me, so. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> uh, I asked John Lipsy if he'd open us up with some prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we're coming to you again this morning. We praise for you, Lord, and things that you do for us day by day. And keep us going no matter what kind of problems in our life or in this world or even in our government that we're facing, Lord. So we do ask for your blessing to keep going the way we are and certainly without any, any evil in our hearts. Lord, it's so easy to get concerned about things around us and, and think of the evil and turn our back. But Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to stay firm in your belief and firm in our way in you. So Lord, thank you for your love and your kindness that you do give us day by day. In your name, amen. amen. Wow, John has no idea what I'm talking about today. And you won't believe how well that prayer fits what I had put together. Absolutely, I guess the spirit was involved in it. But one thing I did learn from Dave is to start in the book of Psalms. And well, let me start by saying, you know, I, I'm not going to presume to teach you guys the way Dave does. Um, as I told uh, Alva here, there's plenty of people in this room probably more qualified to stand up here than me. So I'm going to, we're going to have a discussion on some rabbit trails we touched on last week uh, out of Daniel 4, and uh, I'm just going to be a moderator more than a teacher if that's all right with you guys. But let's start in, uh, with, with Daniel 4 in mind, remember that last week, that was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's having this dream about the tree being cut down and all that, and, uh, uh, and Daniel interprets that for him, and we got into some discussion there. Um, with that in mind, uh, somebody read Psalm 75 for us, please. Whoever finds it. So, Psalm 75. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a Psalm of David, a song. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity when the earth totters and all its inhabitants. It is I who keep steady the pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. To the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak in haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous it shall be lifted up. Amen. Anybody see any link for five or six to what we've been studying in Daniel in that song? Pardon? Verses 6 and 7. Okay, what about it? The length, well, he, he uh, puts it down and he, he exalts in heaven. So, I would say that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was brought up by God and mm -hmm. he put down the okay. Absolutely. Thinking back to the, you know, all the first four chapters of the end that we discussed so far today, anything else in that song jump out at you? What's been Dave, one of Dave's big themes about the book of Daniel, two of them actually? Sovereign, God's sovereignty over uh, nations, over individuals. There you go. Over individuals and over the affairs of nations. Look at, uh, you know, look at verse uh, 2. When I select an appointed time, it is I who judge with equity. You know, it's him that sets up and tears down. And uh, 
How about the uh, how about verses uh, four and five? That speak to Nebuchadnezzar, maybe, and to us, of course. Right. So this this psalm just really jumped out at me, just you know, all over the authority of Daniel. So, but like I said, I don't want to try to press on in the next chapter of Daniel or anything. That's Dave's job. But there was some questions that came up late in the, in the session last week um, that also brought me to this psalm. Uh, there were some questions about, does God lift up evil nations? Does God lift up evil rulers? Why would he do that? Does anybody, who asked those questions? I thought it was Tim, maybe not. <laughs> Nobody's going to take credit, right? Okay, well then let me ask you guys the question. Does God ordain evil rulers or evil empires? Clearly. Okay, clearly. That's a good answer. You're making it tough on me, guys. Okay, this is supposed to be a moderating a discussion here. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think it goes for judgment purposes. That's yeah. The people of Nebuchadnezzar was to the people of Israel. Okay. They weren't following what they were supposed to, so he brought that evil king against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that, in that case, he uses he uses evil. That's right. It's good. Anybody remember Pastor Bob's sermon on Habakkuk? The honest to God prophet? Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Chaldeans to come after you guys. And what did Habakkuk say? Not them, Lord, they're worse than us. <laughs> right? Right? There's plenty of examples in the scriptures. Um, I'm just going to throw you a couple. In case anybody is going to say, you know, there's no way God set up Hitler, there's no way God set up um, Ayatollah Khomeini or. or uh, who are the current guys that are now Saddam Hussein. Uh, Saddam Hussein, all those you, you name them. Uh, you know, the Nero's, there's no way God would do that. He can't He can't look on evil, Scripture says, right? I'm just going to give you a few uh, examples, uh, and I'm going to be all over the Scriptures, okay? So forgive me for that. If you want to jot down addresses, that's great. But Isaiah 10, 5 and 6. And uh, he's talking to Isaiah concerning Israel. And he says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. Ah, Assyria is a tool in God's hand. And the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation. And he's talking about Israel there. And commission it against the people of my fury, Israel again, to capture booty and seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. So God saying, yeah, I'm using Assyria. He goes on to say later on, but they'll get theirs too. Okay? And then I would, we already mentioned Habakkuk. But let's just, we're in the book of Daniel. Let's just look at what we've seen so far in Daniel. Go to chapter 2, verse 37. This is uh, Daniel interpreting the first dream. Verse 37, You, O king, are king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Who put Nebuchadnezzar there? God did. Yeah. In fact, in Jeremiah, no, you don't need to turn over Jeremiah 27. Uh, I'll turn you real quick. I think I'll bookmark it real quick. Jeremiah 27, the first eight verses. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourself bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And send a word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, king of Tyre, to the king of Sidon by messengers who come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to go to their master, saying this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the men and the beasts which are on the face of the earth, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Now I think originally Nebuchadnezzar's behavior wasn't pleasing in God's sight. But, and now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. Does God set up evil empires and evil rulers? 
I, uh, we're going to kind of camp out a little bit today. In uh, one of the questions that came up last week, you know, concerning this was the issue of evil government, and I think some of you may not be happy with where ours is going right now. So I think I thought maybe it could be a fairly relevant topic just to say, okay, how are we supposed to respond to a government when it's not going the way we'd like, or certainly not the way God would like? Sir. Well, uh, the scripture you just read is that Nebuchadnezzar was actually God's servant. And not in that he was serving God necessarily, but in that he was doing what God intended. He was an instrument of working out God's plan. Yeah. So I think that's, in that light, is where all the Nazis and et cetera fit. Right. Um, so. Uh, you know, in terms of our response to our government, <laughs> I mean, A, I think we have to be respectful. Now, this is a side of all this. You know, but, no, actually, this is where we're going. And that's, that's where, you know, I forget, I want to say Corinthians, but one of those says, you know, you have to, well. We've got a couple here we'll be you know, camping out in for a little bit. Okay, so we have to be respectful, but that doesn't mean that we have to acquiesce. Okay, and especially when it breaks God's moral law. Absolutely. Okay, so Daniel's a perfect example of this, where, you know, his friends wouldn't bow down and, and therefore got the fiery furnace. You know? Right. I mean, so, you know, but the, <laughs> the part that always gets me is this whole thing about um, God could intervene or he couldn't. And, Oh, the fiery furnace thing. Yeah. Uh, and if we do so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from fire, the furnace of blazing fire. And he, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if he does not, yeah. let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your God the first day. So there's just a whole. We're, we're going to get there, and you read my notes, obviously, before class, because you just wiped out half of them, but no. <laughs> no, you're right, and we're, we're getting where you're going there. Well, if, if, we, if we rip through what you were going to talk about in 15 no, minutes, then I want to hear more about your writing on the problem of evil generally. I don't have that with me. <laughs> no, and, and actually, we, I, can, I can maybe give a couple sentences synopsis on that uh, later on, uh, and it wasn't all my writing, I was, this wasn't something original with me, this is me doing some study and coming up with a paper a couple years ago, but anyway, before we press on here, can anybody tell me three institutions ordained by God? Three of them. Marriage. marriage. First one's marriage, Genesis. Government. Government. Church. Church, good. Okay. Does the fact that governments do evil things, uh, are oppressive, uh, does that somehow diminish God's design? I mean, it, not diminish God's design, but does it somehow reflect on God? I think that it shows his sovereignty over evil in itself as well, because he can take anything evil and use it for his victory, right. like um, Hitler, for example. If it wasn't for that, then the Jews wouldn't be in back in Israel. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have their nation on that ground anyway. So all the all the evil governments throughout the ages have been self-serving, but yet the Lord uses them to serve His purpose. Right. Nothing happens. You know, Book of Job, first couple chapters of Job. Nothing happens that's outside of God's control. Nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing happens but that he doesn't allow it. That's a tough one. I mean, we visited a lot of Pentecostal churches in our earlier days saved and in the Air Force and stuff. That was a tough thing for a lot of those people to handle. This faith movement, this, uh, the thought that God would, uh, would allow evil come into my life. Obviously, it's a demon I need to you know, rebuke. So, so, yeah, go ahead, Dave. Well, you know, it's interesting that 
Nebuchadnezzar, he, he recognizes God as a sovereign God, he says it, but, but he doesn't abide by it or live by it. In other words, he, re, he accepts him and he rejects it. It's the same kind of, that makes any sense. He said, okay, I know you are, but I don't want to give up my own personal will and my own yeah. desire to, I, I want to be the head. And so yeah, I, I think it's kind of like we were talking last week, I think it was last week here in Dave's class, where it was almost like a progression that, that Nebuchadnezzar went through, where he acknowledged God as a God among many gods. And it was a progressive thing to where he finally went, oh, wait a minute, you are God, period. You know, So yeah, it was a progressive thing. Okay, uh, what I'm getting at, though, about these three institutions is, remember, we're in a fallen world. And, you know, the fact that governments do evil or are oppressive, the fact that there are evil rulers uh, does not negate the fact that God ordained government any more than divorces negate the fact that God ordained marriage, right? Or the fact that apostasy occurs and that doesn't negate the fact that Christ founded the church, okay? There's error in doctrine in churches. That's not Christ's fault, okay? <laughs> That's the fallen nature, okay? So I want to get that. God did ordain government. And the fact that we have evil governments out there doesn't mean, you know, otherwise. So, the scripture we're going to mainly camp out in is Romans 13. Should be pretty familiar to a lot of you, I think. Um, the first seven verses there. But actually, in order to really understand what we're going to hit in 13, we need to understand... Uh, what Paul's writing here in the context, going back to uh, chapter 12, verse 1. You know, the first 11 chapters of Romans, he gives all that doctrine about our election, our sanctification, our glorification, you know, uh, all the, the doctrinal stuff. And then from 12 on, he gets into, okay, now in light of this, based on that, here's how we're going to live, Okay. So if we go back to uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, all those things he's described in the first 11 chapters, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, we are trying to serve God in a way that's pleasing to him. Um, and then he goes on verses 3 to, I think, around 13 or 14. He talks about relationships in, in light of this, how we're going to live in our relationships with others in the body of Christ. talks about using your spiritual gifts for the, the benefit of others. Uh, and then, um, um, starting at verse 14 in chapter 12, he talks about our relationship with the unbelieving world to the end of the chapter. Okay, and I want to highlight a couple of three verses on that in particular. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. I want to make sure you don't misunderstand that sentence. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now there's two ways you could interpret that. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, or respect what is right in the sight of all men. Which is the, which is the correct way? The latter, okay? If you go with the first one, respect what is right in the sight of all men, you know, I'll throw you back into the book of Judges. You know, everybody did what was right in his own eyes, right? That's not what he's saying there, okay? Respect what is right, and who defines that? God, okay, in the sight of all men, and this is including unbelievers, okay? Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We could spend a couple days talking about that. <laughs> that one verse, you know, there's so many areas in our life, if possible, so far as it depends on you, that's going to matter when we get into talking about government, okay? Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, right? 21, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Now, in that context, he just steps into the next area of our life that we need to deal with. 
Happens, it happens to include believers and unbelievers in this case, but it's the government. In the start of verse thir- or chapter 13, now verse 1. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Here's the answer to the first question I asked you today. And those which exist are established by God. Pretty cut and dry, right? Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have proposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are the servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Well, we could spend a lot of time unpacking all that too. But the first question that once again is answered: Does God ordain? Are there any governments out there that God did not ordain? Let's put it that way. No. Okay. So how are we to respond? Okay. Well, before I go there, I just want to let you know that uh, Paul's not the only one in this camp. Uh, Peter, if you want to flip over to. Uh, I think it's First Peter, right? Yeah, First Peter, chapter two. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it starts at um, actually starts at verse twelve to the end of the chapter, to the verse twenty-three. Um, but verse 12 is one I want to hit in particular. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, uh, they, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What does the next verse say? Submit. We'll talk, if there are any questions on what that means, we can hit that. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to... How many? Every. Every human institution, whether it's to a king, as the one in authority, or to governors, is sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, or for the praise of those who do right. We read that in, in Romans 13. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And he goes on to talk about uh, servants being submissive as masters and, and not using your freedom as a covering for evil. So... Peter agrees with Paul. What kind of government were these guys under when they wrote these? Romans chapter is about you know to the Jewish Christians in Rome, which was you know ultimately you know even even at the time of the writing of this book and the laughter was Nero, having really big persecution, and yet the writers are still saying respect them, you know, and submit. That's the point I want to make. In comparison to what we got now, I am very unhappy about the way our country is going right now. I don't, make, oh, yes. I don't, I don't make any qualms about that. But, but uh, you know, no one in Washington D.C. has crucified anybody yet. I mean, literally. <laughs> um, you know, no one in Washington D.C., in spite of the abortion laws, has said you must go out and kill all male children. Okay. Although, may I say that right now the health plan that is offered clearly covers abortion. It does. And it probably covers many other things that we would uh, Mm -hmm. want to resist and that we believe are evil. Yes. Uh, And we are being told by our government that we must sign up for it. Now, um, what's happening is that people aren't able to do it at this point in time. However, 
once, once it's there, um, what are we to do about that? Okay, yeah. that's where we're headed. Yeah. You know, I think going back to, to where they, they were paying taxes to the government that was building the crosses that was going to crucify them uh, on. And you say it's mid pay the taxes, even though you know it's going to be used for purposes that you obviously don't want. Mm -hmm. so I think I think there's there's a lot within our government that we don't we're not going to like, but I think until we are we are we are personally asked uh, to participate in that wrongdoing. I think that, that that's on the government shoulders. When in Matthew chapter twenty two, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees are putting Jesus to the test. And he says, uh, do we pay taxes or don't we? Is it right to pay taxes to, to the Romans? What did Jesus say? Show me a coin. Show me a coin. Uh, let's stop right there. You, understand, you guys understand what it meant to the Jews to pull out a Roman coin? Do you know that a Roman coin was not allowed in the temple? Do you know why? What? Because of his face? What is or his name. Or Caesar's picture is likeness on the coin. For the Jews, that was idolatry. Okay? You don't bring that in our temple. Okay? So, we pull out a coin. Whose likeness is on it? Caesar. And Jesus says... Give to Washington, D.C. <laughs> that which is Washington's. Okay. <laughs> okay. But to God, in God we trust. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's a little blasphemy on there, isn't there? Uh, and there's people working on getting rid of that blasphemy for us, yeah. Um, yeah, it is an important question. And, you know, and this, this health care thing is a nightmare, and I didn't prepare myself to give you all the ins and outs of biblical aspects of Obamacare, okay? So, but, yeah, Dan. Uh, I was going to say that as far as the healthcare part goes, according to uh, what Paul says in Romans, and here it says doing, do what is righteous in front of, in front of the eyes of all men. Basically, if you are fall under the healthcare plan, well, it would be right for you to take care of your sick children, but it wouldn't be right for you to, say, get an abortion. So, if you were going to fall, if you're the government says that you need this health care, and so then by abiding by your government's laws, then you do that. That doesn't require you to make any evil steps um, inside of the health care's coverage. You can still stand apart by doing what's right on a day-to-day, choice-by-choice basis. Okay. Do you understand the distinction we're making here concerning this? Uh, well, it comes down to paying taxes. That's in... That's in uh, Romans 13 here. Pay taxes, right? Well, the government isn't using the money the way I think it should be used, and I'm sure God's not pleased with it either. So should I be doing that? Let's look. Yeah. In Mark it says, you know, what is Caesar's is Caesar's. Right. And what is God is God's. So now we have to interpret that. What is, what is really our government's? And what, what should be God? We have to separate those and make them the same. Separation, which is very difficult. And only through prayer can I think we can answer that. Yeah. And I mean, I, we don't have time and I don't have the intelligence to dig into all the aspects. You know, everything is God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that draw therein, right? It's all God's. Right? But He doesn't need our money. Uh, you know, I don't want to get. That's another rabbit trail. That's a rabbit trail off a rabbit trail. I don't want to chase. But, but my whole point is in in Romans thirteen and in in First Timothy or First Peter. I'm sorry. Um, second is that Second Peter? Whatever I took you to before. First Peter two. Yeah. Was there any exceptions in there when they said submit to the governing authorities, except for only if. Anybody hear any exceptions four. in there? In Acts 4, it does yeah. give an only exception. We're going to get to Acts 4 and 5 as well. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you guys are just way ahead of me. Like I said, I don't need to teach you here. Okay? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's no exceptions. 
Okay. So, so taking, we, it, taking it out of the American context and putting it into the Chinese context, what about the Christians living in China and the government forces abortion? Yeah. Uh, if you have already had one child, that's it. Yeah. Know? Now there's a case, and we've kind of hit it on already, so let's go ahead and flesh that out. There is a time you do not submit to the governing authorities. And that's when they tell you you have to do something, that you have to do something that God forbids. Or they tell you you have to stop doing something God says tells you to do. Okay? Now, when I pay taxes or when I pay insurance premiums that somehow end up paying for an abortion, I am not forced to get my wife into an abortion clinic. I'm not forced to do the abortion. I mean, there is an, God understands your heart and there's an accountability, if you will. Okay? You know, God tells you to pay tithes to the church. If the church squanders that money somehow, if the, the, the deacons and elders squander that money somehow, is God going to hold you liable? You, you contributed last Sunday to that debacle. <laughs> no. No, you obey God, bringing the first fruits into the storehouse, and you let the people that have that money be accountable to God for how it gets used. Does that make sense? Do you hear that, Alan? I mean, if I'm missing something, I want you guys to speak up because there's someone like Tom back there. You're awful quiet today. You guys know, you know, scriptures better than I. So, if I'm if I'm missing please stop me. Okay, that's that's where I stand on that. So, yeah. I, I agree with that, all of that. Yes, but okay. So you're you're in a church. You have a choice whether to stay there if you feel that the, the authorities are definitely doing things that aren't scriptural. Like squandering money, mm-hmm. uh, and should you leave? Well, there's just how to respond to that. Um, I mean, I guess you can use that. leaving that church. You know, if if you're if, you're, if God shows you that you know this church is, is obviously, I, I hate to use the word apostate, but if they're if they're that much in error, you know, He may lead you away from there. But before you get there, even you know, God's heart is restoration. And, and there are ways in the Bible, uh, you know, how to make a wise appeal to your leadership, to those in authority. I'm not touching on that today, but that, that applies to government authorities. That applies to employers, parents, you know, whatever. You can make, well, there's ways to make a wise appeal to those in authority over you. Uh, and do that wisely so that you're doing it for their restoration with their good in mind and, and how you can communicate that. And, and, you know, and if they won't respond to that, then, yeah, you may have to get to the point where you have to separate yourself from that. Um, but you are touching on that. And <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we, we made it, to me, a whole lot bigger when you talked about, well, really the three institutions. And they're somewhat similar in terms of uh, you got governance, but you got church, and you got family. So... We all know that there are no perfect churches, no perfect governments, and no perfect families. So, it's interesting that there's principles, really, that are here. <laughs> but, that you do get to vote with your feet a lot of times. Not so much in governments, unless you want to leave the country, I guess. <laughs> but, well, you got the ballot box. Oh, yeah, I might replace the ballots. You've got the ballot box, too. But in China, you know, you can't yeah. do that. So um, the, I guess the point is that you, you do get to vote with your feet for churches. Sometimes you might actually have to leave a, a poor marriage. I mean, there's reasons to do that scripturally. Even. Um, you don't have to. Uh, yes, yeah, there, yeah. there are scriptural reasons for divorce, but I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy the concept of irreconcilable differences when I serve a God who reconciled the biggest difference in history. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, but it's a good point because it's about redemption. It's about um, self-sacrifice. It's about uh, loving each other. You know, even in things that aren't right, pleasant, or good. And to me, those are the things that are, are the hardest for me to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we talk about government, it's, you know, 
Well, I think it's going to get tougher. Well, that's, that's why I chose about church or family, mm -hmm. um, and yet I think there's a lot of principles that are the same. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to bring is I think I think it's going to be more prevalent that we're going to have to be concerned about how we as Christians behave with where our government's going. I think. Okay. Now let's let's go back. You know the things that we we will not do. The, the times we don't submit to the government. Uh, I don't think it's Unreasonable to think that somewhere down the road, Rush Prairie Baptist Church is going to be told, you have to do gay marriages if you're going to do marriages. Mm -hmm. And we have to be willing at that point to say, no. we can't. And if it costs us tax exempt status, it may cost the pastor his state license to do any marriage. I don't know what it would cost. But the bottom line is, we've got to be willing to accept those consequences on the things that we cannot uh, you know, stop obeying God. Or they may come in and say, as opposed to you have to do something, they may come in and say, uh, you, and this has already happened in the country and in Canada a lot, uh, you cannot preach against gay marriage. There's a pastor who's been in prison in Canada for two, three, four years now for preaching a sermon against homosexuality. He's doing the right thing. What happened to freedom of speech? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. The Constitution. <laughs> well, public prayer, they've already. Public prayer. Yeah. In these yeah. high schools, the kids are not allowed to okay. do that in some of these schools. Okay, yeah. You know, you, you're kind of hitting something here. So, do we just kind of become doormats? I mean, um, you know, whatever the government does, okay, take it, you know? Jesus says, you know, guy slaps you on one side, just turn your other face the other way and say, hey, do it again. That felt good. Yeah. No. Do we become doormats? No. Um, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave us the, the really tough. Look, it cost me my life, but I'm not yeah. going to do that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Is there any, is it wrong for a Christian to get involved in um, political action? That's a good question for you. Right. <laughs> um, Absolutely not. <laughs> no. This doesn't mean this doesn't mean that we just kind of you know hide in our church and say, man, I hope it doesn't come hitting our walls. Yeah. You know, this is we'll cloister here and oh, it will. Yeah. Well, yeah. we need we need we need Christians in politics. We Absolutely. Need Christian teachers in the public schools. Yep. Yes. And we need, you know they have a lot of influence over right. students. And and you know even though there are some things that you can't say, you can still have your right. your principles and by example and, and We we need Christian yeah. influence. Yeah. We we are we need to be the conscience of this nation. Right. Okay. Right. The reason I bring this, this topic up, so we need Christian teachers, we need Christian politicians, we need Christian lawyers, we need, you know, you name it. We need Christian bus drivers, uh, you know, whatever, to keep that influence, okay? I mean, you know, when you think about, you know, what Revelation tells us, you know, once, once uh, the church is raptured and the Holy Spirit no longer dwells on earth, what happens, you know? It's chaos, right? Uh, so, yes, we need to get involved. Um, my concern, and I'm just throwing this is Bob Hapka, this isn't scripture, okay? I'm not going to get dogmatic about this, but just my opinion. While I very much appreciate and support, in some cases, uh, organizations like, um, like J. Seculo's uh, ACLJ, mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of these, you know, uh, I get the daily newsletter from uh, Family Research Council. Very, very active in the political scene. Um, that is good work. Don't get me wrong. What's wrong? Is there anything wrong that you guys can see? Is there any cautions? Let's put it that way. Do you get any red flags about those organizations? Uh, they could potentially stand against or apart from the government. Therefore, not being... Uh, Servitude or not being, um, as he says, uh, submitted to the government? Okay, they haven't gotten there yet. I think they're per those organizations are pretty good about doing it. Yeah, you don't want to get into rebellion. There's no place for revolution in a Christian's life. Any, any arguments there? Okay. That's not what Romans 13 teaches. Here's my caution. 
about these organizations, or it's my concern. Okay. Um, well, were there, were there social and political ills in Jesus' day? Were taxes a problem? Okay. Oppression, slavery. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of others. Was he aware of them? Did he organize any uh, million man marches? What did Jesus come to do? See, Jesus wasn't concerned with the external, environmental, political, social environment that you were living in. Jesus was concerned with the hearts of men. Jesus was concerned with establishing a church, not a political action committee. Okay, not an ACLJ. The church at that time didn't want it. Yeah. Well, the, the Jewish leadership. The Jewish leadership, yes. You understand the distinction I'm making? It is good, we need to be the conscience of this nation, like I said, when it comes to all these issues. You know, Obamacare and, and you name it, that's all kinds of stuff. The church is the one source, we've got the one source of truth to keep this thing on keel. Okay, so we need to be involved, yes. But our higher priority must be what? Winning. Winning souls. Uh, but, the great issue. Yeah, and I don't mean the but. No. I, I agree with that. Um, Jesus came the first time to seek and save that those who were lost. Mm-hmm. And he died and he rose from the grave. He is coming again. Yes, he is. And uh, it's not going to be the same way right. as when he trod on this earth. That's true. And died for us. And guess who's going to be with him? So, um, you are. Uh, yes, amen. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be part of uh, those that, that are with him. But, so I, I agree, and uh, I know there's a chaplain in the, uh, actually he's, he's head of all the legislative chaplains in the nation, trying to get chaplains in into each legislature, state legislature. Mm-hmm. He once said, Ralph Drollinger, he used to be um, Athletes in Action, he said, if you would change people's hearts through Christ, and that, that is the quest for mm-hmm. those chaplains, you'll change their votes. Yes. Their votes will change. And that's exactly where I was coming from. So, um, but at the same time, I so firmly believe that we are also to be light to this world in with righteousness. And the groups that you're talking about talk about righteousness. Exactly. And, and they reflect what God says is right. I'm not going to say every single time they do. We may not agree with that 100% with mm-hmm. everything that they're doing, but Right. Well, uh, if we don't do yeah, that, well, in this, I just let me okay. just finish this thought. In this country, because we have the opportunity to do this, we are a representative form of government. Not every government is like that. I actually believe it's our responsibility to do that, and I don't see it as rebellion. I do not see it as revolt. What I see it as is standing for what is right. Yeah. No, yeah. Please don't. Don't. Once again, I'm not saying be a doormat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the standing for what is right in the sight of all men. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. There's a fine line here, and I don't want to strip them on one side or the other. But yeah, I am not saying that. I'm not saying don't get involved politically. What I'm saying is we need our primary focus as the church to be accomplishing the Great Commission. You know. Go into all the world and make uh, Democrats or Republicans of all peoples? No. <laughs> make disciples. Right. Make disciples, okay? Our primary concern has got to be the salvation of those people. And, you're, and she's right. When, when people come to the Lord and He sets their mind, when He gives them that regeneration, He gives them that new heart, yeah, their votes are going to change. Okay? 
That's true. Yeah, Dan. As far as you, you mentioned staying on keel, but as far as staying on keel, wouldn't that mean that we would need to morally decline as we are into the end times as they are foretold? I mean, if. Well, um, it's going there, yes. Right? So wouldn't we welcome um, things that could be seen, that could be prophesied in, in Revelations, maybe, or. Or evil, <laughs> evil government. Well, you're saying step aside and let the evil accelerate so that the revelation happens first? I'm not saying that. It's just like, where do you. It seems like the instructions given to us in Peter and in Revelation is like, where do you times when you have to not be submissive to the government. Um, and one of them that uh, Eileen mentioned was in Acts 4 and 5. Peter and John are told not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. They went out. They were thrown in jail overnight. An angel let them out. The next morning they're in the temple preaching again. And they go, hey, didn't we tell you not to do this? And their response was, you judge whether it's right for us to obey God or obey man, right? They were doing one of the things that God told them to do. And they weren't going to submit to the government telling them to stop. In this case, the religious authorities, if you will, uh, wasn't the Roman government. So there are plenty of examples um, when in the scripture when they did not submit to the government, but in every case, and I'll say in every case, it was to be obedient to God when the government said to do otherwise. And I think if you go back and look at every one of those instances that you can find, the result was God got glory. I don't think God gets glory when that Baptist church in Kansas goes. Okay. There's wrong ways to do this, okay? Okay. So that takes wisdom, all right? Uh, I want to talk just a little, and that kind of leads me to the last thing I just want to mention on is our attitude as we deal with the unbelieving world and the government around us, okay? And this is, I'll kind of throw this out more as a challenge yourself type of thing. Check your attitude. What is your attitude? when you maybe get into political discussions at work or school or something like that. You know, even here in Daniel where we've been, um, I'll if I can find it real quick. Daniel 2, I believe. If I can find the book of Daniel again. Yeah. Daniel 2, when he's interpreting this dream uh, of the statue. I'm going to try and find it real quick. Well, Daniel always approached the king with, with great respect. 47. 47? Thank you. I think. That's what you're talking about. Okay, well that's... Okay, he's, he's well, a revealer. Well, maybe I'm thinking... Of, I'm sorry. Let me, let me go... Um, the tree. The tree. That's what I'm thinking. Daniel four. 4. Go to Daniel 4. Yes, Daniel 4. Uh, when he interprets his vision of the, the dream of the tree being cut down. Verse 19. Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was appalled for while his thoughts alarmed him. Uh, the king responded and says, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. He answered and said, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you. Yeah. He's working under who is currently at this time still an evil, a, a pagan king. And yet he has that kind of a heart. Oh man, if only this was against your enemies, not you. Remember Joseph's response in Egypt, you know, after he sold into slavery in Egypt. My goodness, for years and prisons and everything else. And he always stayed respectful 
He always stayed obedient, submissive to the, the Egyptian authorities over him, while maintaining his purity, as with Potiphar's wife, who would not disobey God, right? Although that wasn't one where he was commanded to disobey, except, well, you, know, you could say Potiphar's wife was in some regard in authority over him, right? And he disobeyed that command, right? So, you know, check your attitude. Is that your attitude when, uh, when you meet some belligerent? Political hack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is, is it, you're an idiot? Or is it, oh, if I could somehow make you understand what God says. So, you know, what the truth is. You know, that's the attitude. Um, and I thought I had a scripture to talk about that. Yeah. Well, it was in First Timothy again. Uh, Verses First uh, Timothy two one to four. Let me just review that real quick. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, all men. And then he goes on to say, for kings and those who are in authority, do you pray for our leadership? In order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I think God's trying to tell us that if we want to have the right kind of political impact and an effective political impact, the best way we can do it is quiet and tranquil lives living in godliness, being an example, you don't have to get in people's face and say, I'm going to hell. If you, if you do that, you know, all you got to do is, is, you know, be the witness by what, the way you're walking, the way you live, the way you respond to people. Uh, if you go back to, uh, I'm bouncing all over, I'm sorry, but back to Romans 12 again, there was a verse in there. Romans 12, verse 12, when he's talking to the people in the church, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. No. That's where we ought to be. So it's, it's yes, submit to the government authorities. Pay your taxes. Well, we didn't take all that uh, chapter, Romans 13, step part, all the various things the government was supposed to do, bearing the sword, what that means. You know, the fact that they're ministers of God, we kind of touched on that. You know, government authorities, believers or not, are instruments in the hands of God to accomplish His purposes. So we pay, their tax, we pay our taxes so we can pay their salaries. So they can continue being God's instrument. Make sense? Do they screw up? Do they do evil things? Yeah. Are you going to be accountable for it? God looks at your quiet, your peaceable heart. Your heart that doesn't try to take vengeance. Your heart that says, to the extent it's dependent on me, I'm going to be at peace with all men. Do that picture for these people. Make sense? I'm over time. No? Okay, I think I, I ignored a couple of hands that were up a little minute, minute ago. You had your hand up a while back. I'm sorry. No? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, there are any other questions that, you know, we got some smart people in here, like I said. Uh, you know, questions that I didn't hit? I, I comment, it seems like the more malicious a government is, by an example throughout the Bible anyway, it seems like there's, you don't really see any good, righteous institutions that are characterized to show how God works his righteousness as much as you see the um, ways of men lifted up to be cast down to show God's righteousness. Yeah. So it almost seems like the worse off a government is, the better off it ends up being for God and for purposes. Because there's a better contrast between his righteousness and, and the corruption of men. Yeah. Yeah. More, more, more people recognize the brokenness and so therefore to, to understand the need for God perhaps as well. Government authorities to live a quiet and tranquil life. How do you think that's uh, manifest in a, in a believer? The 
quiet and peaceful life. The way I'm reading that is pray for our leadership. Uh, remember in Jeremiah 29. Mm-hmm. All right. Jeremiah 29, people. Once we got a minute left, I'm going to drag you around more, please. These are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, priests and prophets. Uh, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. These are people in exile in Babylon, okay? Who have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and multiply there and and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I have set you in exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. So when I pray for my government, you know, and I, I, I like what's written in Timothy there. You know, I'm, I want a peaceable, godly life for myself and for my children and grandchildren. And so, yeah, I pray for the individuals. I pray for the president. Sometimes I grit my teeth when I do it. <laughs> I pray for him. I pray for those in Congress. I pray for judges that are, you know, calling good evil and evil good. You know, I pray that God would give them insight, give them godly counselors around them to sway them, whatever, that he would change their hearts, save them, so that their votes change, as we talked about. But I also pray for, you know, the peace of our nation, too. If we prosper in it and continue to be a good example, a quiet and peaceful life, then uh, those around us will benefit. It's like like the tree thing in Daniel 4, right? Nebuchadnezzar was not... A God-fearing king, yet he became great, ruled the known world. And all that known world benefited from his protection and provision, right? Until the tree gets cut down. Okay, well, we can kind of take that role, too, within our nation. Does that answer your question? Yes, I I just wanted to, you see, I I think back to uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah in Laban and how he at what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and I don't think he was living a very quiet and peaceful life. Mm-hmm. Of course, he was, you know, in a sense, in disobedience. Well, was he in disobedience? Or the people around him were in disobedient. It got so terrible, of course, right. that God destroyed it. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes we can be in turmoil about what's going on around us. Uh, and, uh, you know... <laughs> I relate sometimes to to, the, to how he groaned at what was going on, and uh, I guess maybe that that can be part of our groanings and our sure. prayers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think the New Testament talks about that. I mean, groanings that the Holy Spirit takes up. Yeah. I, I feel Eileen's pain here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess I wanted to point out that. In this country, uh, representative government, uh, and what, what that means in some ways is that people with a radical agenda, okay, let's say the gays, you know, because they have had an agenda to transform society, and here they are basically successful at it, and here we are as the church generally being a lot of times silent. And, and I do believe that we're a silent majority still. <laughs> but the silence is the problem in a representative government. So I guess I would encourage everyone to do what they can, yes. whatever that is, to be a catalyst for change, for righteousness in this government. We can do it. Um, and we can't do it by just being silent. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to say for the 14th time probably a day, don't be a doormat. We as Christians have civic obligation, civic responsibility. Exercise it. Um, but my thrust this morning is exercise it with wisdom. Exercise it with the instruction that God's given us as far as how we do it. Okay, There's no place for revolution, re- rebellion in a Christian. 
with respect to any authority. Uh, so, and you can extend this to authorities, like I said earlier, it, it could be employers, it could be government, it could be teachers, it could be parents, you know, anybody who's in authority over you. So, okay. Anybody else? Well, Father, thank you for your help this morning. I needed it. Um, while we are citizens here under this government, we, are, we acknowledge that and we thank you that we are citizens in heaven. And uh, we ask that you would help us to lead that godly, peaceable life that would, uh, that would close the mouths of the accusers and uh, that would challenge, challenge them uh, in their ways too. We, we ask that you would help us to be good citizens here on earth, but more so we ask that we would be good citizens of your kingdom and expanding that. Help us in that regard as well. Uh, send us this week uh, to live to your glory. We ask that you would uh, uh, anoint Pastor Aldridge this morning as he brings a message to us. We thank you for his, his visiting, his return. And uh, we thank you for bringing Dave back to us next Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.